Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here together today at First Christian Church. We're very honored that you're with us here. And uh, if you're a guest, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team here. And uh, we're very glad that you are. We're going to get to spend some time together. I'm looking forward to that as we look at the book of Galatians. It's good to say hello to everybody here in the West, to everybody in the East Auditorium, to those who are in Lovington and everybody watching online and participating there. I love the idea that we've got a church that is not confined to any, the walls in any way, but more so as a, the body of Christ in a meeting in multiple settings. That's all good to hear. So take your Bible, please, and if you'll turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you maybe on your smartphone, if you don't have a Bible with you, or if you're in the East Auditorium, there's some people moving around right now. We'll, give you, we'll be able to get one in your, in your hands here in the West. And in Lovington, there are some Bibles in the pew racks there, so we'd invite you to grab it. We'll be reading from that in just a moment. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to tell you of an embarrassing moment that occurred in my life a, few, a couple of weeks ago. And just by telling you embarrassing that it was embarrassing just makes it all the more embarrassing that I'm going to now tell hundreds of other people, right? Mostly if you have an embarrassing moment, you keep it to yourself, but well, there you go. I'm going to tell it to you anyway. So two weeks ago, two weekends ago, I was, was preaching was my responsibility. And uh, so I preached Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, on behalf of the church in DHF, I had to be in Florida. I had to be both in Jacksonville, Florida, and um, Lake Mary, Florida. Lake Mary, Monday, Tuesday, Jacksonville, Wednesday. So the best way to do that was to fly to Jacksonville, drive to Lake Mary, and back. And, and anyway, so that's what I did. Flight out of, um, out of Champaign early in the morning, Monday morning, a little after 5 o'clock. So then we left the house real early. You got to be there before, you know, before 4. To, uh, it was ridiculous. So up at 2 type thing. So I was not real, I was kind of sleepy to say the least. Get there, get on the plane, and the plane is getting, the flight schedule is to go through Charlotte. Now Charlotte uh, is a lovely airport. If you've had the opportunity to fly through there, it's this open, wide, uh, they've got moving sidewalks up against all the windows. They have white rockers like in the Southern style and you can sit there and rock. But I had no touch time for that because originally had an hour in between when the plane was to land and the next one, the doors were going to close. But we landed and we went round and round the tarmac for probably 25 minutes or so, so that by the time I got off the plane, there was virtually less than half an hour. And we were way off in some terminal, I think, I don't know where, it may have, may have been in South Carolina for all I know, but nonetheless, I walked a long way to get to the next plane, hurrying. I'd planned to have breakfast. No, there's no breakfast. Anyway, so it was, and I'm, you, you understand it, right? You want to be there, you got to be there 10 minutes before the doors close and all that sort of stuff. I got 15 minutes to walk this long way and I'm, I'm using all the sidewalks, the moving sidewalks I can and <laughs> I get off one and I come up <clears throat> to this guy and you know, I've been on the road a lot over the years and so you pay attention to things that road warriors use and he's got the most interesting suitcase thinking, and it's a pull along, and I'm looking at that, and I'm, I'm walking fast, and I'm kind of thinking about his suitcase, and I walk past him, and he goes, hello, Mr. Kent, and I look at him, I have no idea who he is. I, I'm going, I've slowed the pace down just a bit, and I'm thinking, who is this guy? And can you fake it? You know the moment, right? Well, I thought I could fake it. So I said, hi, how are you? Okay, so I've been up, I've only had a few hours sleep. I'm tired. It's, oh, one of those moments I'm going to fake it and he'll never know. And I go, so what brings you to Charlotte? 
And he goes, well, I live in Charlotte. Oh, golly, who is this guy? Some familiarity, but I haven't got a clue. I'm thinking, racking my brain. And you got this con- you've been there, right? You've got this conversation going. Like, okay, and so how's the family type? Oh, God. <laughs> and so, I'm thinking, who from First Christian Church recently moved to, De- to Charlotte? Oh, who moved from Decatur to Charlotte? And I'm racking my brain, racking my brain. And I have this sneaky suspicion suddenly. We've walked probably 150 feet that he's realized that maybe I don't know who he is. He says, oh, there's a water fountain. I've got to get a drink of water. He bails on the conversation. I said, I'll see you later. Catch you next time. Oh, and I'm, I walk about another 30, 40 feet. And the, finally, my brain kicked in gear. That is, our daughter-in-law's name is Courtney. That is Courtney's brother-in-law. They were, he was at the wedding. We had Thanksgiving at their house one time. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you for all. I mean, he's almost family. <laughs> awful, awful. So I'm still racing. Oh, God, how awful. I didn't recognize Mark. And I, <clears throat> I'm, I get up to the, to the gate. And I'm the last guy in the plane. They're saying, well, everybody, you know. And so I'm calling Ben, our son, to say. And I go, hey, Ben. You'll, he says, Mark's already called. Oh. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He knows you didn't recognize him. Oh. I didn't think it well at all. So I got on the plane. You know, you got those two or three minutes between you, when you sit down and when the door's closed. I call and says, hi, Wayne. You didn't recognize me, did you? And I said, oh. Don't you wish there are life settings where, let me tell you, next time I fly through Charlotte, I'm going to be looking. Where's Mark? Where's Mark? Where's Mark? And uh, you have those life settings where you say, man, I wish there was a do-over. I wish I could back up and try that. If only my brain had kicked in when I first, I mean, eventually I wrecked, but it was all weird, 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 weird. You have those things where, man, if I just have another, somebody give me another pitch. I'll, I'll take an, I fouled that one so badly. Let's chat today about avoiding those moments where we say, man, I have to do a do-over on this. And to do so, as we chat about that, we're com- going to complete our series on Galatians 5 today. We've taken three weekends to review nine different aspects of a charitable and kind life, the sort of life Christians are supposed to live. And the list of behaviors that we're looking at are, if you will, they're called the fruit of the Spirit. It's a compilation of nine different God-honoring lifestyle patterns. All nine, if you will, are an antidote to God-despising lifestyle patterns. And in looking at them, we've been reminded, every time we've done three, three, we'll do three again today. We be reminded of these do-over moments where, where we're challenged to live in a new way so that the, I guess you could say, so that the number of do-over moments just gets reduced. And if it's a do-over moment that we have, it's simply because we did something silly like fail to recognize somebody in an airport. I mean, Jesus is still coming back on time because of that one. I mean, it's not that, the history hasn't been altered. I've made a mistake, but well, you, enough. I'm going to, done enough with embarrassing myself. Read with me verse 16, Galatians chapter 5. Paul the Apostle says, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And he's going to tell us what the desires of the flesh are in just a minute. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Here they are, the things that can get you in trouble. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Paul says, I warn you, as I said before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is different. It's in direct contrast to that. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is another word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This, this, is, this is really, this is good stuff he's saying. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So what, the, what you have there is you have two different lists, right? There's the list of sins, the acts of the flesh that if you get involved in them, they usually mean you've got to have a do-over moment. And the do-over moment is far more difficult and far more complicated than just whether or not you have to call Mark up on the phone and say, sorry, it was very early in the morning and I failed to recognize you. These are downright ugly moments. These are downright, frankly, life-condemning approaches. They lead, I'll just say it straight up, they lead to eternal damnation. All of them do. Get involved in, in any of these behaviors and there will definitely be more than just a do-over wish. It will be a do-over, I've got to get, because that wish, there will definitely be a do-over wish if you get involved in these. And that wish will either be in this life or the next life. Because if they are left unrepented and unforgiven, they will put a person in eternal hell. That's the first list. But then there's a second list that's the antidote to the first list. If you can approach life using the attributes known as the fruit of the Spirit, then the do-overs that are in front of us simply are the ones that we say, man, I didn't handle that well when I was in the Charlotte airport. And I, by the way, did you notice that this is called the fruit of the Spirit? It's not me trying, it's not you trying to manufacture it them ourselves. This involves the Holy Spirit's leadership. This involves God initiating these really incredible works in our lives. And I've got to unpack that for you, just if I can do a little bit of gospel story for just a minute. Because living a life full of the fruit of the Spirit in a God-honoring way reflects God's graceful gift of Jesus Christ. I mean, in the long run, that's what happens if you live by the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what we say when we say, I want the Spirit to be in control. We are agreeing that Jesus died for our sins, and those sins are listed in the acts of the flesh. His forgiving grace, we are saying, is available through the cross of Calvary. We leave those sins behind, and through the cross of Calvary, they are forgiven. They are no longer condemning us to hell. And then the Holy Spirit develops these God-honoring traits within us called the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's what we've been encouraging you throughout the last three weekends to memorize this verse out of Galatians 5, verse 25. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Would you say it out loud with me? Since let us keep in step with the Spirit. One more time. Since we live by the Spirit, it's all initiated by the Holy Spirit, friends. In the last few weekends, we've examined the first six. Today, as the Holy Spirit initiates these fruits of the Spirit, these acts of living right in our lives, we're going to look at the last three, just simply one after the other. Faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. And so let's start. Faithfulness. What does it mean? Well, to understand it, you have to get, do a little bit of digging in the original Greek. When it's listed here in Galatians chapter 5, we have to say it's multifaceted. Because the ancient language of Greek indicates that faithfulness, as it's described here in Galatians 5, is discovered in two different ways. There, there, you can't just have one and not the other and be called faithful as it is described in Galatians. Now, you might be faithful, but, but not in the way it was described here. So let me see if I can put it. We can say there are two sides to the coin of faithfulness as it's described in Galatians 5. This is a penny from Australia from 1958 when they used to have large pennies down there. And we would say there are two sides to the coin called faithfulness. And to be considered faithful, as you just see it, as the Greek word is listed in Galatians 5, you have to have both sides of the coin in place. First of all, the first step is that you, if you have to believe that God exists, that is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and giver of eternal life, that that comes through Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, that it's through, it's through him that we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. You've got to believe that first. But if you only stop there, while you may be a person of faith, you are not a person of faithfulness as is described in Galatians 5. Because there's a second side to the coin. You have to have both sides to be considered faithful with the fruit of the Spirit. The second kind is this, is that you have to be a person who also develops a character and an inner life approach, if you will, of fidelity and a reputation of reliability. In other words, you could have, on the one side, belief of Jesus and not be considered faithful this way of Galatians 5. You could have, on the other side, a person who's reliable and a person of fidelity without faith in Jesus, and you could be considered faithful to your spouse, your family, and so forth, but that wouldn't mean that you're a person of faithfulness as is described in Galatians 5. You've got to have both. One, belief in Jesus Christ, that you're trusting him. You've got to have that faith and then on the second side of that, you've got to live that faith out by being a person of faithfulness yourself. And so you need both. And I suppose I should simply ask then, have you cultivated the fruit of the Spirit faithfulness by doing those two things? By believing in Jesus and then acting with fidelity and reliability in the lives of those around you. If you believe, then are you also faithful in a God-honoring way to your spouse if you're married, or to your family, to your vocation, to your congregation. To be, have the fruit of the Spirit called faithfulness, you need both. And I would ask this then. Under the assumption that most of us here today would call ourselves Christians and we'd say we believe in Jesus, then let me ask you, are there places on the other side of that coin where maybe you should be working on a do-over? Is there a do-over in your life I suspect it's come to mind immediately. Where you'd say, oh man, I, I just, I didn't manage that pitch very well. I, that walk through the relationship, that walk through the Charlotte airport of that relationship, just, I, I mean, I really messed it up. Because if that's come to mind, then may I suggest that a person of reliable faithfulness growing in this fruit of the spirit will take some steps this week to do over to get it straightened around. Those steps may be difficult, and they may require, if you will, an awkward conversation or a sensitive note or a carefully crafted email. And I, I suspect you already know what you need to do. 
Or at least you know the setting where you need to say, I got to take a second run at this. Let's move on. Let's move on to gentleness, which is sorely needed in our present culture. Here's what I mean. Gentleness, as it's found in Galatians, is a mildness of disposition, a gentleness of spirit. It's the exact opposite of the vitriol that we see expressed in our nation in the last decade or two. Social media, seems to me, in my opinion, has fostered a spirit of entitlement, but beyond that, it's fostered a huge spirit of anger in our nation. Galatians 5, the gentleness of Galatians 5 is the exact opposite of what is championed in our day. The national mood that many people embody that says, hey, I'm taking what is mine and I may take some of yours as well. That's not the gentleness that's listed here in Galatians chapter 5. Now, when you talk about, Galatians, talk about gentleness, pardon me, in the context of Christian circles, sometimes people will say, well, Jesus was gentle. He was, and, and then we have this say, Jesus, meek and mild. And I want to go, oh, that's so awful. That's such an inaccurate portrayal of who Jesus is. I get where people come from that, but it's not really the, the true story of Jesus. Portraying Jesus like that is inaccurate. Jesus was gentle, yes, but his gentleness was never displayed by meekness and mildness like some wimpy, wet toast. No, it's not, not milk toast. I mean, not, it never, there was never wimpiness in Jesus. Think about, he came to this earth and his gentleness was displayed in a mindset of courage and determination. He came with one goal in mind, to change the course of human history. And he did that at the cross and at the grave. It's changed completely. He knew when to speak. He knew when to be silent. Some days, yes, he took it on the chin. Why? Because at that point, that taking it on the chin served the greater purpose of bringing salvation to humanity. The cross, the grave, the resurrection. But in other days, he was very direct and particularly vocal. He never sounded wimpy. No way. There was nothing wimpy about Jesus. And so this gentleness here is not any sense, any sort of wimpiness. I don't know that there's such a word, but I'm making it up right now, all right? But that's not, while there was never any wimpiness, I must say that Jesus always displayed gentleness. How? Well, he would reach into the lives of those who were in desperate straits. He always treated them, always, with great care and compassion, with gentleness. I mean, we've got lots of ways in which we could d demonstrate that today, but think, for example, of just the way he approached children. We have these stories in the, in the Gospels in the, in the, in the, the, when, when the four writers wrote down what happened in Jesus' life in the New Testament. We have these stories of how you know, he had disciples around him, and on one occasion, they're, they're making their plans, they've got their ideas of how he's going to, they were his political handlers, if you will. They're, they're his managing team, and, and they've got their ideas, and a group of parents approach Jesus, and um, they want Jesus to bless their kids, their children. And the disciples are saying, no, you don't have, we don't have time for that, you need to get the kids out of here. But Jesus says, no, we're going to interrupt your schedule. We're going to interrupt the plans. The children right now are more important. So that's the story. As a matter of fact, watch this video. It will give you a sense of what it might have been like when Jesus was a gentle, uh, a gentle leader amongst his disciples. <laughs> 
Master is in need of rest. Please. Please. Peter. James. Suffer the little children to come unto me. Forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. The Gospels tell us that at this moment, the kids were way more important than any anything that the disciples might have had in mind. And you have him putting his hands on them. And it says he blesses them. It's an Old Testament pattern from the, from the days gone by when people would place their hands on kids and say, may God's grace be upon you. Uh, can I show you what it looked, might have looked like? Case, can you come up here, buddy? I'm going to sit down so I can look you in the eyes, all right? So remind me how old are you? Are you eight now? Nine. Nine. How'd you get to be nine already? It's your, oh, your birthday. I remember, was it just like a couple weeks ago? Yeah. Yeah? You don't know what I'm going to say to you today, do you? I can see it in your eyes. Can I tell you, I remember you when you were like this big, and then you got to be this big, and now you're this big, and I think there may be a day when you might be taller than your dad. Do you think so? I don't know. Here's what I want you to know. Nine years old. Are you in third or fourth grade? Third. Third grade. And how many more days of school you got? Five, I know, because you guys are going on vacation on Friday, right? You're skipping out early. How cool is that? I hear you're going to Minnesota where it's cold. No? Where are you going? That's in Florida. Florida. To the beach. Ah, lovely. I want you to know this, bud. In the way in which I've watched you grow up to be nine years old, and all your brothers and sisters grow up to be... You know, I've watched them from that being that big too. And I'm so proud of the way in which God's working in your life. And you would come in my office and we have chats about this, that, and the other. And we, I learned a little bit about what's going on at school. And at nine, there's a lot in front of you yet. But Case, I pray that when you turn 10, when you turn 13, and when you turn 16, and dad might let you get a license, when you go to college at 19, 18, 19, and then when you go, you get married maybe at 25, can you imagine that? In all that's in front of you, may God's grace cover you always. That's my prayer for you, for your whole, all your, your brother and your sisters, and may the days ahead be full of all of God's best blessings for you. Now, I don't know if that's what Jesus exactly said, but here's what I'm quite aware of. When you read the scriptures, you see this gentleness of Jesus saying, what happens in the lives of the children is so important that we're gonna interrupt our schedule for their sake. Now, I know sometimes parents have to make, and adults have to make adult decisions, but maybe the, one of the best ways we can display our gentleness is to say, the adult, stuff can be put aside for 30 seconds. What do you see there? And I'm not Jesus. I'm, I, I, I'm, I, what I want you to see is this. 
that those who have the gentleness of the fruit of the Spirit treat others with deference. In other words, we put them first. Their story is more important than your story, than my story. Their needs have to be taken into account. I don't always come in front of you when it comes to, there's some, I mean, you've got to be able to eat before you can, yeah, there are some things you have to go, this is what I have, I have to go to work, I, I have to go to work, whatever, you, I'm not, but on the other hand, are we people of gentleness in the midst of the stuff that we think we have to do or we like the disciples, get the kids out of here, get the other people who are in the way, get them out of here? Let's move on to one final characteristic that's essential for those of us who follow Jesus. And again, as we look at this trait, please remember this trait cannot be manufactured by sheer determination. It's a work that's produced by your willingness to allow the Holy Spirit's control of your life. Read with me Galatians chapter 5, again, verse 22. Read this. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and all those who say, I want those, and I'm going to work on those, and then there's a zinger at the end. Self-control. You were going, oh, great. I'm all on board with this list until you get to the last one, Pastor. Until you get to the last one, Apostle Paul. Why did you have to stick that in there with all this business of self-control? Self-control, friends, is the virtue that somebody has who masters his or her desires and passions, and especially those of the central appetites, of central appetites. And it's the antidote to the passionate sins listed late, earlier on in the passage. Can I remind you what they are again? Verse 19. What are, the, what are the, these appetites that we have? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envies, drunkenness, orgies, and he's kind of like given up on the list. He goes, and the like. Like anything that's ugly. And all of them, if you think about it, all of them are about appetite. And they are all overcome by a Holy Spirit-given self-control. And there's a great irony in this that really came, became crystal clear to me this week as I was working on this. Here's the irony. I want to talk about self-control. And yet, on the other hand, I want to go, okay, so if all the other fruits of the Spirit... That to get them, I have to give the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit initiate them, then that's got to be the case with self-control as well. And so here's the irony. The fruit of the Spirit called self-control can only be created by the Holy Spirit, and it's achieved by giving up control of our lives to Holy Spirit. Isn't that irony? That, hey, I want to have control over these things. Well, the only way you get over control of these things is not through you, but through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's crazy me, to me that you got to, in order to get control, you have to give up control. For example, for perhaps some of you, you might be facing habits that are listed in the categories of the acts of the flesh. Perhaps you're inclined to fits of rage or perhaps alcoholism. Maybe some of you here today have a sexual appetite that's running amok. Some of you may be prone to jealousy. Every relationship you go into, eventually it gets weird and wonky because you get jealous about how it's working out with other people in the middle. And you just have this, if you will, this bent toward jealousy. And if you'd say, it's almost like, it's your signature sin. If you're going to sin somewhere, it's in sexuality, in, in, in jealousy. Or my, my bent, my 
My signature sin is sexuality. My signature sin is I get angry all the time. If, if so, if you stop trying to control the issue and get the Holy Spirit involved, think about the difference that that can make. Because we read Galatians 5, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's letting the Holy Spirit be in charge of our lives that these matters begin to be brought under control, including the issue of self-control. And so I guess that means I should be asking you this. How will you keep in step with the Spirit this week? How will you let the Holy Spirit help you gain control over your anger, your appetites, your selfishness, your lack of gentleness, your lack of faith? In other words, how do you get in step with the Spirit this week? I'm so glad I asked you that because I have an answer to that question. Two things, pretty easy. Make an evaluation followed by a decision that's accompanied with prayer. In the quietness of this moment, let me ask this. And I don't want anybody to speak out loud at this point, but what area of the acts of the flesh have some control over you? Remember what they are again. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Which one of those, or maybe which two of those, or which seven of those, whatever the case may be, which one has your sinful tendency listed? And then this, here's your decision. After you evaluate it, choose to pray and expect the Holy Spirit to make a move. Expect the Holy Spirit to help you diminish these behaviors because the Holy Spirit, if you pray, will bring settings into your life this week where you can step away from those behaviors and have some moments instead where you demonstrate one of, or more of the nine different aspects and fruit of the Spirit. I suspect you can grow in some of those areas this week. You may think, man, I gotta grow by, when it comes to faithfulness, when it comes to gentleness, I gotta grow by a large step. And you go, well, it's so tall, I'm never gonna make that step. But may I suggest, friends, if you make a small step this week, and then another one the next week, and the week after that, by golly, within a few weeks, you could have that whole self-control, that whole gentleness, that faithfulness in hand. Let me, let me explain it this way. A leg up, if you will. So I'm, Two weeks ago, Monday, I'm walking through the Charlotte airport. I go on down to Jacksonville. at an event in Jacksonville, event in Lake Mary, back to Jacksonville. Thursday morning, back on the plane, and I'm gonna fly from Jacksonville, Florida, to Rochester, New York. Our daughter and her husband and our granddaughter live in Rochester. Leslie met me at the airport. She flew in from Decatur, and we, or Bloomington, and we met together in the airport, and we spent the weekend with our kids last weekend. And that was lovely. Um, so they left Decatur and moved to Rochester, New York uh, last summer. And, you know, life, they're young, and life in Rochester, particularly when it comes to housing, is significantly higher priced than around here. And so consequently, they bought a house that, shall we say, needs some reconditioning. That's a good way to put it, Okay. And some of you have lived this when you were young or when you're young people here today, you're living in a house, excuse me, you're living in a house that doesn't remind you of your parents' house. Does that sound familiar? Anyway, anytime we go out there, um, shall we say, there are a number of, number of projects that we get to take on. 
and some of them are big, some of them are like, like, like they're, as you walk down the sidewalk of their front yard and you come to the house, there's a step up onto the porch that you gotta, I mean, if you were in trouble at all, you'd need handrail to pull you up. It's, it's probably a 10 inch rise or more. Now, most steps are seven inch rises. And so when you're there, you gotta, our little granddaughter for the longest time wasn't able to get up it. We'd have to lift her up into it. So I'm thinking about that step and thinking there's gotta be a permanent solution, but a permanent solution to this in the future. But I thought I can fix this at least on a temporary basis, for the next 18 months, we'll get this taken care of and, and we won't, we, we'll, we'll put an extra step in. So you know what I did? Went down to the hardware store and I bought tw- uh, eight cement blocks, 12 by 12 inch blocks, and they're about two inches tall. And I put them in a line of four and four and glued them down. Got some outdoor glue and glued them down. And so now that what was a 10 inch rise is not quite seven, but it's a, at least it's manageable now. It's not gonna, it doesn't like, oh, what am I gonna get up? And just a little boost, just a little leg up. There has to be a permanent solution in the days ahead, but this was, this was a cheap fix, $17 to buy the, the blocks and the glue. I'm, and it'll get them through the next 18 months or so. And I'm going, that's, that's a good deal. Just a small leg up. Friends, this week, this week, God's going to work in your life, and it may not be huge, but it could be just a little leg up. The Holy Spirit is going to come into your life and help you develop the fruit of the life through the Spirit lifestyles. Through what I'm going to suggest is a prayer. It's a request um, asking the Holy Spirit for help, and it's going to be on the screen. It's going to you're asking the Holy Spirit to help you to discover the places where you can just take a little step. We can go in faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You know, when you get to the end of that sidewalk at their house, you just step up a few inches first and then onto the bigger step. That's why we want, can we, this week, can we just get a little leg up on what we've got in front of us? So to that end, I'm inviting you to stand in all the auditoriums, okay, in the east, the west, in Lovington, and even at home. I may suggest you stand just so you can, man, I'm gonna pray this prayer as an act of faith. And so I'm gonna read it out loud for you first so that... Um, you can, I don't want you to pray it if you're not up for it. Because this is what I believe, that if we pray, God responds. Particularly when we say, God, I want to grow in something. So God's going to bring settings into your life if you pray this. So here's what it says. Holy Spirit, as I walk in step with you, bring people and settings to my life this week where I can demonstrate greater faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. My appetites do not control my life. You're in charge of my life. Now, are you up for that? You up for that? If so, then I invite you to pray this out loud with me. Holy Spirit, as I walk in step with you, bring people and settings to my life this week where I can demonstrate greater faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. My appetites do not control my life. You are in charge of my life.